0: If you're passionate about property investing or thinking about buying your first investment property, then the Property Success Podcast is for you. It's full of tips, tricks, strategies, special guests, and personal development secrets to help you have a better lifestyle, more freedom, and more choice. Okay, welcome everybody, and welcome to my special guest on the Property Success Podcast today. Mr. Brian Reynolds. Um, I'm pleased to say Brian has been a friend of mine for a number of years, a fellow property investor, and has a great backstory. Um, I've just been listening to a little bit about Brian on a program that he was on on the TV many, many years ago, and we had an interesting conversation. So Brian, you're very welcome to the Property Success Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Good stuff. Um, What do you think think of this TV program? I, th- I thought it was interesting, as I said. I've just got watching like ten, fifteen minutes of it before uh, before we come on air here, and um, it was interesting that it was filmed across the water on what something property TV, one of the Sky channels. No, uh, I was one of the Sky channels. It was overseas property TV, and overseas property TV. Your, your man's going- and, and interestingly, it was a guy called John Daly who used to be quite right. big on BBC Northern Ireland or UTV. I remember being on quite a number of uh, programs, and, and he was quite good. He was easy to listen to, and then all of a sudden, he disappeared, but you, you've since told me he's he's working on a big job in RTE in the Republic, so he's um, G, good yeah. luck to John Daly. He was a great broadcaster, very um, much like our own Jackie Fullerton here in Ballymena. Um but maybe not as good. Uh, anyway, Brian... Um, not as good-looking, not as good-looking. <laughs> not as good-looking, no. Not not as smooth as, as, as our Jackie. Um, what was I saying? Uh, about the 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 program you'd kind of said that you'd watched it uh thought it was good back at the time and then you watched it a few years after a couple of things happened that i'll not go into because you're going to tell us but you thought there was a little bit of arrogance there and i thought different it it was interesting that you know you feel that way about yourself because it is yourself yeah
1: so the so the program was the program was filmed in 2007 and um Things were really good in property, in particular in Northern Ireland. I was invested here in Northern Ireland, but I was invested in England and Scotland at that time too. But we, we had just seen massive growth in Northern Ireland at the time, like between yeah. 2006, 2007. I think my property portfolio had increased in value by about 70, 75%. So it was huge growth. Um, so I think for me, I was a young man at the time. I was a millionaire at the time as well. Uh, I was about 30, I think I just turned 30 years old and i was very i was super confident right and i believed that property could never go wrong and we, we all know that there's ups and downs with property but when it's your first time through it you don't know that you know and i know you'll touch on that later on so as i said to you the program was shot it was aired in sky in 2007 and at the time i thought that's great and loads of good stuff in it and then circumstances changed for me a few years later And I happened to watch that program, maybe, I don't know, around 2012, 2013, something like that, when things had changed in my life. And I watched it back, and I thought there was a whole lot of arrogance, you know, Um, because sometimes overconfidence kind of gets into the domain of arrogance too. And then I was meeting with yourself and Mary a week or two ago, and I thought, let's just watch that Sky TV program for old time's sake, because I'm really chucking myself back into the property realm at the minute. And when I watched it back, I thought, you know what? overconfident, maybe maybe a bit enthusiastic, overzealous, but I thought there's a lot of good lessons in it. And even watching it back, there's a lot of stuff that I was thinking, you know, young fella, young Reynolds there, you said a couple of things that I would reapply even now, you know? So there might be some lessons in that program.
0: Yeah. For some some people. Definitely, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. As I say, I just got watching 15 minutes. And just to pick up on something you said there, you were a millionaire by the age of 30. Define what, what a millionaire is to you. How do you define a millionaire?
1: So my definition of millionaire was probably by my mid-20s, I probably had over a million quid in assets. But like everybody else, I was leveraged against those assets. So around about age 29, probably around about 2005, 2006, uh, there would have been over a million quid, or a million quid roughly. I think 2006, roughly, there was about a million quid of equity. Uh, you know, my, my asset worth, uh, if, you know, if it sold everything, paid it back, all the mortgages it would have been about a million quid. And then I continued to grow like with a couple of really good years of growth. So kind of 2007, that would have increased There might have been a couple of million or something like that. And then I always tell the story that one fortnight I lost two million quid, <laughs> you know, but it was never, it was never really mine. So it was a millionaire in the sense that I was a millionaire on paper, but there was never, for me, there was never, uh, as I was telling somebody the other night, there was never a day that uh, opened up the bank account and went today. I've hit the million quid, you know. Yeah. So there was never that moment of celebration like I've just done the deal that's made me a millionaire. You know, it was just it, it gradually crept up in, in kind of asset wealth, if you like, and then uh, then you become a, a millionaire.
0: You know. And you said things changed for you. Um, what what went right or what went wrong? Um, so I started out, Chris, in nineteen ninety
1: nine. Uh, I was I was twenty one years old. And my partner at the time got pregnant, and my father had kind of just started dabbling in property a couple of years before that, but I didn't actually know about this. Um, I didn't know he was in property at the time, and um, my partner got pregnant, but for whatever reason at that time, I I was in a job, I was making about 120 quid a week driving a van, and I was talking to my dad one day, and I said, I've just been to see this white Toyota Corolla that I quite fancy. And I was gonna take it on the drip. <laughs> and I know you have some American people in PSU, so I was gonna I was gonna pay it off, you know, on a right. higher purchase. So um my dad said, You're mad. He says, You park that thing at the front door and it's gonna depreciate in value, It'll be worth nothing in a couple of years' time, and you're still paying for it. He said, You'd be far better buying a house. So, like I was young, I was only earning a twenty 120 quid a week, and I kind of thought, what would I want a house for? Because I'm not gonna live in this place and you know, all of that. So I kind of thought about it anyway and finished up going to see a house in Ballymena on Moat Road, which is pretty still an investment area. There'll be still a lot of landlords on there. This wee house in Moat Road was, was thirty two grand. So went to get the mortgage for the, the house anyway and actually get turned down for the mortgage. My dad had lent me 2,000 quid for the deposit. That's what you needed at the time. You know, I know it's... I wish those days were back. <laughs> what, 5% or something like that, lovely. Right. So uh, he lent me two grand, and um, I'd, I'd wanted to get the mortgage and get turned down. And I was lucky that the the mortgage advisor at that time that I was dealing with was pretty, you know, pretty tuned in kind of guy. And he says, Brian, your income's pretty low. You're not gonna borrow a reasonable amount of money at that time versus your income. There's a couple other lenders who are cheaper or we can go to this particular lender. He says they're pretty forgiving, and we reckon we get it through for you. So I said, I just go straight to the one that's likely to do it. And uh, so, he, and he got me the mortgage, and we got it approved. So that was my first house. It was a wee property at thirty-two grand. Can't remember the rental figure. I should have pulled that out for you. Probably, probably they got us four hundred quid a month at that time in nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah. So the yield was pretty good, but I wasn't. Um, I wasn't programmed to be thinking about yield or inter- return on investment or anything like that. Yeah. At that time, you know, I was just, I just bought a wee house, that was it really. Um, so that, that kind of went right for me, that rented all day long, there was no hassle with that. And then um, I kind of thought to myself, this is pretty good actually, and there's a little bit of income off this, maybe I should try and buy one of these every year. So what I didn't know, I hadn't surrounded myself with people who were buying property, you know, I didn't know anybody else my age at that time, I was 22. Yeah. 22 when I, when that property completed. So I didn't know anybody else my age that was buying other than to live in. So I didn't know about things like capital raising where you could raise against the property and pull the equity out and, and use that for a deposit. So it took me, I think it was two years later, I bought the next house, which was also in Ballymena. And uh, the, way I, the way I did it was uh, probably something you, you have done yourselves along the line was I maxed out some credit cards to get the deposit for the second property and I bought the second property, and I think from memory it was around about forty grand. So I was building slowly but surely, and I was kind of buying one property, maybe two properties a year. Um, so yeah, things were things were going really well. And based on that formula, I know it was slow but sure. But the thing that was on my side at that time was capital growth. Like Northern Ireland was was kind of growing every year. Um, so that little portfolio that I'd built up, of maybe half a dozen to ten houses, whatever it was, by by as I say, two thousand five, two thousand six. I became a millionaire on paper, you know, in terms of asset value, you know. Uh, then you asked me, where'd it go wrong? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we'll, we'll we'll save that for a second because we'll Bye. come back to it because I know it's a, it's, it's, it's a big story. It's a very powerful story as well. Um, the, the advice that your dad gave you, and I think it's quite good because I'd heard it but free, uh, sort of phrased in another way. And I think what he was trying to say was, rather than buy the car and the car depreciates and, and it ends up worth nothing, buy buy a house and use the cash flow from the house to pay for the car, because at least when the car is gone or is worth nothing, you still have the asset there. And I remember someone saying to me, and I thought that was like a light bulb moment for me, buy a house and let the house pay for the car. Just- um,
1: It's it's, it's good advice, it's good advice. And we'll come back to it later on. Remind me about it later on when I'm telling the story about the big house that I bought. Um, But yeah, definitely having the the cash flow, uh, I would say, Don't have just the asset wealth, okay, because that means nothing. That's on paper, and if the market changes tomorrow, then the the whole dynamic of that changes. But having that, as you're talking about, having the cash flow is crucial before you go and buy the liability, you know. We probably all know that, but you can't hear that enough times because at some point, I think everybody breaks that rule.
0: Uh, I think Robert Kiyosaki says you make your money when you buy a property, not when you sell it. So, because if it's yeah. not cash flowing at the beginning, you ain't buying it, so, That's it. yeah. That's it. Um, so, moving on then, because this, this is such an interesting story, and there's, there's, like, gold nuggets all over this. Where did it go wrong? What happened in, in the property world from everything that seemed to be going along hmm. quite well, buying one or two houses a year, Northern Ireland's going through a purple patch in terms of growth. What happened then? So in
1: early 2006, um, I actually went to see Tony Robbins. I went to the UPW uh, unleash the power within in the Excel Forum in London. And I'm not blaming Tony Robbins, right, so, so don't don't go there. But what, what I found was, um, you know, you go you go to these seminars and I remember standing at the, the Tony Robbins seminar. You did the fire walk and all that stuff. And I remember getting into a group and there were four of us teamed up in a group and we were all sharing what our goals were. And, um, you know, my goal, I'm standing there, I just became a millionaire, kind of like a few months before that, whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm a millionaire, I should be really, really happy. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm not as happy as I want to be, you know? And there was one of the, there was one of the girls in the, the group before, four and her goal was to be happy in her nine to five day job. And we, the other three of us, were like super motivated, rah rah rah, you know, uh, go-getter types with big goals. And we kind of thought, that's a crap goal, you know, to be happy in your nine to five. What kind of low bar have you set yourself, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I look back yeah. at I look back at that girl now and kind of think, you know what? Maybe she actually had it all right in <laughs> you know, that kind of way. So went to the seminar anyway, and I think in my pursuit of more happiness, I I, I maybe uh, I don't know, took the wrong potion or something. But kind of came out of that seminar and thought, what I've got to do is go big, go big. You know, it's all about going big. So my target, as I was telling you guys the, the other night there with dinner the other, the other week, um, my target before, uh, you know, kind of around that Tony Robbins time was to get to 87 properties in the portfolio. I know that sounds very specific, but, you know, when you're writing goals and stuff down, you kind of have to be specific. So 87 properties in the buy-to-let portfolio was the target. I thought that's what I needed for the cash flow um, to be as financially free as uh, as I wanted to be. Um, at that time, the interest rates were higher and so on, so it took more properties I think to achieve financial freedom than what it would do today. You know, based on the interest rate. So anyway, I came away from the Tony Robbins seminar, and I think it was I was a motivated fool. You know, I've heard somebody say that recently. A motivated <laughs> fool, where you kind of you're all pumped up, you're all drummed up, and what you do is you kind of. Come out there and you go right. Let's go big, go big. I buy everything. I will buy everything. That kind of way, and that was me. I came out all drummed up, and I started to buy big. <laughs> okay, so um, I was just, I'm just just going to look down at my notes here to see what I did buy. So 2006 came away from that
0: Robin's seminar, and after that seminar, I bought six houses that year. So you were when you say big, Brian? You meant big as in numbers, but not big, big as in as numbers. Big big numbers.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, big as big as in numbers. So came away from came away from UPW, and I bought six houses that year. And then in two thousand and seven, I bought eleven houses, uh, which is pretty much a house a month almost. So I kind of, I kind of went big for me. For some people, that's not big, but for me, that was that was big at the time. I kind of, you know, doubled and over over doubled my portfolio.
0: So I think I got to about twenty six properties. I think. And, I think for the majority of people, that's that's quite big.
1: Ah well, <laughs> compared to what, as, as Robins would say, you know, but um, yeah. So I kind of got to about twenty six properties in two thousand and seven. And then I made the big mistake. Um, so I, I'd find this house that I loved. My, me and the, the, the partner that I was with at the time, we'd, we'd find this house that we loved. There was an area in Ballymena where we wanted to live. And we'd viewed a couple of houses in that area. <clears throat> and it was a little bit of a push for me, to be honest. Even though things were going well, it was, it was probably over budget. Uh, interest rates were a lot higher at that time. You know, like I can't quite
0: remember, but it might have been around about six percent or something like that at yeah. the time. When were you talking? Two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. I think they were about five point five percent, the Bank of England's rate. So then mortgages may have been slightly over or slightly below that, depending on what kind of mortgage type you had.
1: Yeah. So in July two thousand and six, what what we did? Uh, two thousand and seven. Sorry. What we did was uh we were kind of big into visualization and stuff at that time like um you know your your visualization boards and all of that so what we used to do sounds a bit crazy now when i think back but it, it was a good thing and it worked was we used to go from our house in Ballamina and drive to this house that had just came on the market and we parked the car outside and we'd go for a walk as if we lived in that house we'd park the car out in the street outside the driveway of this house we go for a walk uh, around the local park and kind of around that area. And we do this like a few times a week. And we, we you know, it's like putting an eye into the universe and envisaging that you already own this thing. Yeah. So then it came for me to go and see the house and uh, the vendor, the market was very strong at the time and the, the area was a good area and it was ripe for redevelopment and all kinds of things. Um, so I went to see the vendor and you know, the house was on the, the market at a certain price. And I said to the vendor, what do you need? And the price that she gave me was 50 grand in excess of what it was on the market at. Wow. And I said, listen, if I shake your hand now, will you do the deal? And she said, I will. So I shook the lady's hand and she was true to her word. And we did the deal and she got 50 grand more than what the house was on the market for. But I wanted the house. As far as I was concerned, I already lived in the house. You know, that kind of way. I've been parking oh, yeah. outside it and stocking the place, you know. So... But that, that was the mistake because at that time, my income, I, I had an entertainment agency for 10 years which was doing really well. In actual fact, when I look back, I was making more money from the entertainment agency than I make working nowadays. Um, so, so my income was pretty good. And, um, but what happened was in 2007, when, when I was going big at property, I actually gave up the entertainment agency. Now most people would sell that business or whatever but you remember that I was maybe getting towards the second million of asset worth at that time. And I thought, that's the kind of money that you could never earn um, yeah. in a job or run an entertainment agency or whatever. You could never make that money. So what I actually did was I just let the entertainment agency go, I just fold it up. Didn't even sell it, didn't yeah. think that's worth selling, any of that. Well, just someone went,
0: else just took the spaces that you had. Yeah, I just kind of wanted
1: up. that. Entertainment agency's getting in the way here of making the real money. So. So I'd given up the entertainment agency. I now had a massive mortgage on this house. Just to put it into context for for people actually, like I'm not shy about the figures. The mortgage at that time was £2,200 a month. And then because the the house had a reasonable footprint, um, the the rates on the house in Northern Ireland, we don't have council tax, obviously we rates, were about 250 quid a month at the time. So I was about two and a half grand a month down before I got started. And then the house was big, but it was old. It was an old character house, and uh, the heating bill was just a telephone number. You just couldn't heat the place, you know. You'd have been, you'd have been warmer sleeping in the car. Do you know what I mean? And there was no gas in them days. No, there was no gas. It was oil heating, and the, the oil heating system was antiquated. And I was kind of, I, I was kind of out in a limb for this house, to be honest. You know, i, I really maxed it out. So what it, what I was doing in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, was it was flipping property. So was buying properties and the market was still okay for it. You were buying properties, you were painting them magnolia, you're putting in brown carpets, you're selling them, you're making 10 grand, 20 grand. So that kind of kept me going for a while. Um, But the minute I bought that house in 2007, that house completed in July. And I would say probably about two weeks after I moved in, that house was probably worth about 50% of what I paid for it because it was as, as a and as an estate agent kind of described it to me at the time. He said it was like one week in July, somebody turned the tap off in the property market. That it, yeah, went from, yeah. bu- it went from buoyant to almost non-existent, you know, that kind of way where there just, nobody was interested in buying property at that time. So I was very highly leveraged at that point. I bought a lot of stuff as you know, like I bought 11 in 2007 and six did we say in 2006. Um, So it was quite highly leveraged, and I had a massive mortgage, and that was fine. What I did was in 2008, I took 10 of my properties and sold them. And I thought, I'll put that money in the bank. I know I've just sworn there, put that money in the bank. (laughs) And uh, I'll kind of live live up that money until this credit crunch stuffs over. Because credit crunch in Northern Ireland kind of started before it did in UK mainland. So we were kind of 2007, mid late 2007. So I put a few quid in the bank, enough to keep me going for kind of three years in my mind with my lifestyle at that time. You imagine your big house, when you have a big house, you have all the kind of, all the trappings, you know what I mean? So you're the big house, you have the big Jeep, you have the big, you know, everything's big, (laughs) you know, the big, big holidays and and not one a year, but maybe four of them a year. kind of.
0: And I suppose you thought like three sticking away three years income, you Mm. probably thought, Oh, this will be all done and dusted in three years. But um, yeah, that was kind of
1: That was kind of the thought. So, um, that obviously didn't <laughs> that didn't uh, transpire that way. This credit crunch thing lasted a whole lot longer than three yeah. years. And I found, it, I found it very tight then. And uh, I got caught actually with some flips. And this, this is probably a good lesson for a lot of people too, because I know flipping is going to be a big strategy for a lot of people. And probably one of mine going forward as well. I think there's a lot of mileage still in yeah. flips. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say is in 2007, I was buying X. You know, a couple of the properties that I bought were ex-housing executive properties, so uh, ex-council properties for anybody watching in England. And like, the prices were nuts. So the the rental income that you could achieve would never cover the mortgage. At that time, wouldn't even have covered an interest-only mortgage, you know? Um, so I was buying property, and the only <coughs> exit strategy, the only exit strategy for those flips was to sell them at profit. There was no no real option to rent them out.
0: I uh, just, that just uh, wasn't viable. or refinance or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the the probably wasn't enough refurbishment in them to do a BRR type strategy. You know, it yeah. wasn't. You, you maybe weren't the length of a kitchen and bathroom type thing. Literally, there there were houses where I literally would say, I painted them and sold them and made ten grand. <laughs> that's that's just how the market was. Yeah. I, 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 I joked about this the other week. I think it was yourself. I was joking too. It nearly would have served me if the, if the deal fell through and it took another buyer two weeks to come to me because yeah. the price would have been up by 10 grand. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah. that kind of way. That's, that's just, how bad it was. I, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I just want to jump back a wee bit because you would said there 87 properties was was the, the number specifically mm-hmm. that you had. And that was for a reason that I, I know the answer, but just for people that are listening, why, yeah. why so many properties?
1: So the interest rate obviously was a lot higher then. So your cash flow would have been a lot less per property than what it would be based on today's interest rates. Yeah. So I reckoned that I needed 87 to support the kind of lifestyle that you know that I desired at that time. And what, was it something like 10
0: grand a month or something like that? Uh, honest answer, I don't remember. You had it worked out back in the day. I'm kind of I, thinking <laughs> from, from what I remember getting into property, around about 2005. And it's interesting for people that are listening that we thought it was so good back then and it was so easy, but yet the cash flow, even on interest-only mortgages, was like maybe 150 pound a month. If you were getting 150 pound a month cash flow after paying the rent, the council tax or rates, as we have uh, maybe a bit of insurance and even a letting fee, if you were clearing 150 quid a month, you thought you were doing well. Yeah. But some of the good things we had back then, 15% deposits and maybe a little bit less. Now people are paying 25%, but the interest rates at the minute, like 2%. You're yeah. getting five-year fixed rates at 2%. People are cash flowing three or 400 quid a month off properties. Is it, is it, it,
1: has to be, it has to be a great time to buy property in yeah. that you, you can fix the interest rate for five years in yeah. at, at, around 2%. guess like it's, it's the cheapest money's ever been to borrow in history. So.
0: I, I mean, I'm kind of thinking, 87 properties back then at that kind of uh, cash flow to say, let, let's say you were looking at something like 130 quid a month per property, 87 properties going to get you in and around 10 grand. Nowadays, you could probably do that with about 30 properties because you're going to be making 350 pound a month cash flow off, off the majority of them. I mean, that's almost a third of the properties. So for people nowadays to be looking at the property market thinking it's maybe not as good as it used to be. <laughs> I think it's a damn sight better than it used to be. It might not be quite as good as say, five years ago when properties were really dirt cheap and no one wanted them. But five years ago, the interest rates were about 4%. Now they're the interest rates that we're actually getting are sort of half that amount. So I think now, you know, the best time to buy property was years ago. The, best, the next best time is today. Um, <laughs> not to be painting too great a picture of it, but that's just that's the facts of the property well, market at the a,
1: minute. It's what, you, it's what you know when you come to the market, you know, if, if, if you're just starting out now, now's the best time, you know, there's, there's no point in looking at what it was 10 years ago, or. You know, you hear me in that Sky TV program talking about uh, the portfolio growing by like 70% or something in the course of a year. Like, you might see that at some future point. I don't know if you ever will again or not, or if that was an absolute one-off. I, I don't see it happening, but it, it could do. But, you know, I, I'd still, I still have a very strong interest in buying property today. You know, the dynamics changed. Um, it might be a little bit easier in some ways now and it might be a little bit more difficult in that you do need probably, if you're going the conventional route of just buying properties like buy to let, two up, two down with a deposit, you're 25% into the deal unless you get creative, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, so, so that was where it started to go wrong, Brian. What was the impact of, of it? Like how, how bad did it get for you and what was the impact of that? So...
1: I kind of knew whenever that money was coming towards the end, I kind of knew that I would have to find another strategy. And so this the,
0: this was the three years money you'd put away. It was starting to run out, I'm starting to deplete that very quickly, you know,
1: because when you have the big jeep on the drip at you know six seven hundred quid a month, I think, I think the jeep was six hundred and fifty quid a month. You have the big mortgage at twenty two hundred pound a month. You have the rates. You're you're playing through money very quickly, you know. Um, so yeah, things were getting things were definitely getting tougher. And then I'd let the business go, of course, as well, and I was dependent on flips and property. And when you know the money, the money was due to go on for a little while. But as we were getting closer to the end, then in 2011, uh, the first of January 2011, one day in Dublin, I collapsed, and um, me being a Balamina man and all that, made a hearty stuff. I didn't bother going to the doctors, but I was very ill. Um, I was very ill after it, but just refused to go to the doctors. Couldn't speak. Couldn't walk. (laughs) <laughs> uh, any of that stuff and um went to the doctor's then in retrospect when i realized i wasn't getting any better mm. and the doctors initially you know it's like uh, as i described it to you recently it's like asking the mechanic to diagnose the rattle in your car when it's not rattling anymore but it happened like you know yeah. months ago yeah. so i'm going to the doctors in retrospect and he's initially going ah, it sounds like it could be a heart condition or it could be whatever you know so we went for all these tests and paid to go privately for all these tests and so on, and then finished up in the, uh, finished up with a neurologist in Belfast, and the neurologist reckoned that I had suffered a stroke and that I was suffering from what he was calling stroke-induced epilepsy, um, because we're ongoing symptoms. And I, you know, I would kind of say to people that ask me about this story that. Uh, really, from the 1st of January 2011, I really wasn't functional for about four years after that. I was very ill. We didn't really know what was wrong, so they thought it was a stroke. They did an MRI. They didn't see a stroke in the MRI, and the neurologist would argue that uh, there's a high percentage of strokes that don't show up in MRIs. So I found that, you know, the, the uncertainty of not knowing what the problem was, but being yeah. very ill and being in a lot of pain every day. The uncertainty was probably actually the hardest bit to deal with more than the illness itself. It's it's scary, I suppose, you know, not knowing. You're you're going to bed at night, Chris, you're you're waking up in the morning, you're in pain. Um, You're going to bed at night, you don't know what's wrong with you. So You you don't know if, you know, there were points in that health journey where, where I would rather have heard you've got three months than we don't know what it is you know that kind of way
0: yeah uh,
1: because you, the, you've got three months gives you some certainty <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know yes. where you know you, you know what the, the you know what the sex primary human needs there, there's certainty obviously and everybody likes a bit of certainty and we like a bit of variety but we kind of like the variety that we can control you know yes. <laughs> for me i had a whole lot of uncertainty that was beyond my control and uh, you know we we're going to bed at night and it uh, sounds a bit dramatic and stuff when I tell the story, but you know there were nights I was going to bed and um, you know I was giving my partner a, a good night kiss and whatever. And th- there were there were some nights that I have to say now there were tears. You know, as we we're going to bed and we're saying, "Listen, don't know what's wrong here. I love you to pieces, and hope I'll see you in the morning." You know that kind of way. So it was just mm-hmm. massive, massive uncertainty. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know at that time property was getting tight. I was highly leveraged. Uh, a lot of the portfolio had fallen into negative equity. I was in this big house that was costing me an absolute fortune. And um, the, the health had really gone down the pan very, very seriously, and I was in a position where I felt that um, I didn't have the resources to go out and work, that, that health didn't afford me the, you know, the opportunity yeah, yeah. to go out and work. Um, now, when you're sitting with a property portfolio and stuff, the, the benefit system, unfortunately, is not on your side either. Uh, you know, so you're, you're, you're on your own, you make it or you don't, you know? Um, so at that time I kind of reevaluated the whole thing and I was telling, I think it was yourselves I was telling this story to the other week, you'll be fed up hearing these stories. Oh.
0: Um,
1: the, there was one lender, you know, I maybe had five or six different lenders. There was one lender who would phone me, um, daily, you know, hello, is this Mr. Reynolds? Yes, it is. We just take you through security. Yep. Yeah. Do you own number 34 main street? Yes, I do. Hey. Okay. Um, and they would have a negotiation process with you about this property, and that, uh, you know, and they, they would come out of it and realize right you've got nothing to give them, and you'd hang up, and the phone would immediately go again, and it's the same lender. Hello, is this Mister Reynolds? Do you on number thirty eight, uh, Belfast Road? Yes, I do. Okay, and you go through the same process again. And th- there was there was one lender in particular, and I would say like there were times where they were maybe calling me ten times a day, and I remember standing in one of the rooms in the house one day and. You know, my my mindset from the start of this, because I had been through Robins, and the, there's a certain moral instinct in me where if I owe somebody money, I will pay that money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's just how I'm, how I'm wired. Um, so at the, at the very start, when things started to get difficult, I kind of swore an oath to myself that I would repay every pound that I owed the banks. Um, but I found that sometimes, you know, sometimes the only way to win is actually to give up. And that sounds crazy. It sounds counterintuitive. But I found that the banks just wouldn't work with me in the finish to the point that we, you know, we we had to kind of broker a deal to get me out. So at that time, I gave up most of the the property portfolio and um, found myself just in a position where I had no health, uh, couldn't go to work, and had given up. Kind of all the cash flow I had from the property portfolio to try and do my best
0: to get the banks repaid. Um, tough times, and and I suppose the as you just said there, you know, not wanting to give up because you wanted to re- repay every penny. But it sounds like you were shoveling the tide out with a pitchfork, as, <laughs> as the man would say. You know, where where do you go? It's um, would would you say that that had an impact on your health, Brian? Or uh, I I know this happened, the health thing happened, and then the bank started. You know, closing in for want of a better term, was there? Do you think was there a realization there beforehand that maybe uh, brought brought the illness on, or was the illness caused by something different? Or honest you know answer though?
1: is I don't. Uh, honest answer oh. is I don't know. I th- I, I thought like um, my my life at the time that the the stroke, if if we're gonna call it that, if if you know, and the stroke in twenty eleven, my life at the time was actually. I was probably in a really good place. Okay, so things were a little bit tighter than what they had been. Uh, But I I just accomplished some massive goals around about that time, you know? So, uh, like, I was in pretty good health. I was out walking every day. I was doing about four miles. And uh, I was doing that every morning. That was kind of a morning ritual at that time. And you weren't a a burning the candle at
0: both ends kind of a guy from...
1: Wouldn't have been at that time because I I, I wasn't... I didn't have, you know... I didn 't have to work at that point because I had the asset wealth and had the cash flow from the property to some extent, and I had that three years of income in the bank um, so i thought I thought it was in pretty good position, uh, but yeah, it was definitely getting it was definitely getting tighter, and there was the uncertainty of i didn 't know how long the credit crunch would keep running for and being truthful, if I look back if you 'd asked me in you know, 2010, 2011, whatever. I can't remember when the interest rates started to fall dramatically to kind of, you know, from from that 5 6% down to like 2%, 1%, whatever. But if you'd asked me, would the base rate stay at that kind of figure, you know, that 1% type figure Yeah. for the next 10 years, I'd have said, no way. No way. It can only go up, you know. It can only go up from here. And, and to be honest, it's never really gone back up. It hasn't done, and no, I, pro- but- you know, and uh, maybe maybe it won't. You know, you might even see negative. Um, but I would never have believed it would have stayed so low for so long. But I think I think the big lesson, just to kind of t- take it, bring it all kind of back home as such, was the mistake for me wasn't the property investing. Right, the mistake for me was breaking my own rules. Okay, because it came out. So back, back to the Tony Robbins thing. I came out of the seminar. I was all drummed up. Go, 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 go. Go big, go big, go big. I bought a liability, okay? Because I would consider, I'd be of the Kiyosaki mindset. I consider my home to be a liability. I bought a massive liability. I didn't really have the cash flow from the buy to lets to support that. But I did have the cash flow cash flow from doing the flips to support it. But that strategy kind of dried up in 2008, 2009, because of where the market was at. It might not have dried up for everybody, but it dried up for me doing it the way I was doing it, you know? Um, Now there's more creative strategies where you could probably do flips in, in any market, you know, like assisted sales and that kind of thing. But for me, the way I was doing it at the time, that dried up. So I think my big mistake was, whilst I had the asset wealth, I didn't really have the cash flow to buy that big house for myself. Yeah. So I kind of chained myself down with liabilities that were too big.
0: I mean, that. we were discussing there like needing 87 properties and the cash flow being tight back in the day. You know, and if you sort of equate that, the 130, maybe the 150 pound a month to the sort of, what, three, over three grand, 3,200 you need needed to uh, pay the mortgage on the house, pay the rates on the house and pay the loan on the car. I mean... There's there's twenty odd properties there, the, so the all the cash flow you had was being swallowed up just paying for a house and a car that yep. weren't in turn really bringing you in any money. Um, yep. So it's it's uh, so now yeah. I live in an, an
1: okay now I live in an okay house and I drive a crap car, but I have some <laughs> income. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, interesting, yeah, breaking your own rules. But it's funny how we we sort of have these rules on you know just in our head. We don't have them written down, but we have these unwritten rules. And at some yeah, point so in the, time, your so sort of thoughts change and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I think I think those rules are, you know, make, make sure and have the cash flow, which back to what you said earlier on, you know, the assets really mean nothing unless you materialize that asset. So have the cash flow to pay for the, for the liabilities. And if you're going to get all hyped up and stuff, and, you know, I, I'd nearly recommend people go and see the likes of Tony Robbins or do some kind of Motivational seminars or whatever, because that's important too, and that probably got me through a lot of the health challenges and, and you know made me keep getting up and, and you know try, trying to do my best to get through everything. Um, but if you're going to go and get drummed up and get hyped up, uh, write down some rules and kind of stick to them. So you know my my rule was go big, and I've kind of forgot about all my other rules, you know. And yeah. I, I tell the story to John Daly in that Sky TV program uh, just a few months before I go out and break my own rule. That you're buying mathematical boxes you're not buying pretty houses you know it's not about you're not buying houses for the crack i think is what i say to john Daly in the program you're buying houses to make money you're buying mathematical boxes if they look pretty great if they don't look pretty still great as long as there's a mathematical box you know so i broke my own rule by buying that liability in in july 2007.
0: yeah i think the emotion comes into it it's like an area you always wanted to live in. You know, I I have a little saying about oh, you know that that house is nice, and I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter if it's nice. I won't see it from where I live at, you know. And <laughs> unfortunately, we bought a couple of those, um, at least one across the water that was twice the price of. Uh, well, we could have bought two two bedroom houses for a hundred grand. We spent just shy of a hundred grand on one three bedroom house because it was nice. And um, I remember saying to Mary because we bought it in partnership with relatives. And I remember saying to Mary, "It doesn't really matter if it's nice because you can turn a bad house into a nice house, um, but once you're saddled with the debt from a bad house or from a nice house, it takes a lot longer to pay it down than it does for for um, a couple of smaller, uh, not so nice houses." So you've obviously, Brian, you've had a lot of challenges, um, but that wasn't quite the end of it. So you'd, you know, things started to unravel. How how bad did it get? So it got, got to the point where I,
1: in, in the end, how, how bad they get property-wise, is that the question?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, because I know that the, the health, um, obviously you said that the health was like that for about four years. Just tell us about what happened with the property and how that all unfolded. Yeah, so
1: the the property, I, I finished up doing a deal with the banks in the finish. Um, so I, I essentially surrendered pretty much everything in the portfolio. Now, as part of the way that deal was structured, um, I could kind of nominate what properties I wanted to keep and what I didn't. And um, this is maybe crazy looking back, but it, 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 it tells me looking back how bad the health actually was and the impact that the health maybe had in my mindset at that time. So when I look back, my portfolio, the debt against my portfolio when you averaged it out was 55,000 quid per property. Okay, so some properties were maybe a negative equity and what have you. if you average the whole portfolio out on the debt per unit, it was about 55 grand a property. if I could buy properties today for 55 grand, I'd probably be delighted, you know? So your mindset changes. But where I was at at the time, um, as as part of that deal structure, I decided if I'm coming out of my big house, I'm gonna lose my home. If I'm coming out of that big house, and I'm doing a deal, there's an opportunity here for me to wipe the slate clean, so to speak. And I think where I was at with the health and at at that time, I just wanted the least amount of headaches, to be honest. And um, so I I decided at that time that I would only keep one of the entire portfolio of properties. And I gave away stuff. Now, looking back, I would probably do that differently today. But I think the world has changed a lot since that happened. And I think it was 2012 maybe I did that deal. I think the world has changed a lot because I think banks probably would work with you more now than what they would have done back then. You know, yeah, right yeah. back then, most of the banks I was dealing with at that time were bankrupt,
0: you yeah. know? so Are they, Well, they were panicking. They, they probably needed the money more than you did, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, well, a strange <laughs> thing to say, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, most of them were bankrupt and they were following protocol. And, you know, the crazy thing, the, the thing that kind of cracked me up, because I I would see myself as a kind of, you know, a guy who can get stuff done if, if stuff needs done. The crazy thing was, I was maybe going to these banks and going, listen, this property, I owe you 100 grand today. Um, the property, you're going to take it to the auction and market it. You'll probably get 60 grand for it because I know the prices inside out, but I also know investors and I can get you 80 grand for it. Would you like that? No, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, you, you what? And I go, no, no, we have to follow the protocol and take it to the auction. And, you know, so I, I saw some of my stuff come through auction for less prices. You know, for a lesser sale price than what I I could have offered the bank. You know, it's, it's crazy when you look back. But that's that's the protocol. You know, sometimes with the banks, it's a tick box exercise. You know.
0: So once, as you say, Brian, you had the opportunity to wipe the slate clean. You you, you kept one or two properties, um, but you didn't have the huge overheads that uh that, that you had with the house and the car. And I, I assume you lost the house and, and the jeep.
1: Right. Listen to Gone, yet. yeah. Was gone. Jeep, the
0: the, the <laughs> two biggest liabilities gone. Um, yeah. What what changed after that? How did you get back into the property thing? Was it was it gradually? Were you still keeping your hand in? What way so did pro- things work out for you? Probably, you
1: know, like yourselves. So, what's your story recently as well? What happened at that time? Obviously, was despite my best intentions, the my credit rating was completely scuppered. Um, yeah. So I was. Probably very lucky in that, you know, people people would know from dealing with me over a number of years that, I, you know, my intention always is that I will pay back. So I, I didn't leave anybody, you know, without their their full money back other than some of the banks um, because the, the banks wouldn't allow me to try and <laughs> get all their money back for them, you know? Um, so I, I was lucky enough, I was able to get mortgage hosts along the line and, um, and use other people to, to buy property kind of for me and uh, was able to build it up that way but also from that I think the you know other learnings where I probably shouldn't have given up the business when I did um, I think it's important to have multiple streams of income and I know this is something used you, te- you know you guys teach in the the, the PSU um, like having multiple streams of income like you know so at that time I, I was getting back into property through mortgage hosts but obviously you can only ask so many people you know you do you don't want to exhaust your, your welcome either. Um, but I also started looking at other forms of investment at that time. So I started to take a real interest in gold and silver, um, gold in particular. So like I, I would still be pretty heavily involved in, in gold. Um, you know, and then I suppose more recently then the cryptocurrency as well. you know. So.
0: Yeah, and the good thing about the crypto is it's gone up quite a bit. I, I actually think Bitcoin's gone up 200 quid today, so what, $250 per Bitcoin, it's gone up today. I think so, I think it was 8,400 this morning, it's 8,600. It's unbelievable You know whether it keeps going, I don't know, but um, so Brian, just, you, you talked about Tony Robbins there, and I'm just jumping back a wee bit. Um, you know, Obviously going to Tony Robbins, big into mindset, big into setting goals, big into going big. What impact did um, all this have, the health, the handing the properties back, Doing the daily with the bank. What impact did that have on your mindset, your your sort of personal development? Um,
1: I felt very confined by the illness, if that makes sense. Now, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's a part of me kind of th- th- there's still a, a little bit of this go big thing in me where I'm almost embarrassed to say I felt confined by the illness because I should be going to hell with the illness, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of way. But the illness was there, and it was very prevalent, and and it's still there. Um, but you. You have to come, I think, to a place of acceptance really. <laughs> I think that's the thing I learned that sometimes you just can't change um what, what's going on. So you can change how you think about it, but you can't change it. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So it's like it's like Robin says, you know, you can go out and shout there's no weeds in the garden, but there's fucking weeds everywhere the in weeds. the garden. <laughs> you know, that
0: kind
1: of <laughs> so um so I think you just change your mindset on how how you look at the thing. And you know, even even at my very worst, you know. Uh, the the one thing that I did do every day is we'd still get up and the, you know there are days that Mel God lover and I tell you I, I maybe wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my partner you know um, the, there's days where she looked at me and she went you look like crap you know and I'm saying let's get out and walk let's go out and go for a walk you know that I, I, and I just keep going so I think Robins probably served me very well through that don't get me wrong I wasn't sitting listening to CDs every day of empowering stuff or whatever but I think it. Gave me the mindset to know that the minute I sit down here, that this is game over. You know, it's just keep getting up and keep going. Yeah. Um. And I and I did that as best I could. Like it was it was more limited, but you know, you just just keep keep going, and and probably a, p- a place of acceptance. You know, there's just some variables that you yeah. can't change, and that's just. Yeah. How
0: i hope. Some sometimes you, there there's things you can't do nothing about. You know, which it just is, and that's it. You need to face it and move on and stop trying to convince yourself that it's something different. Um. And. I know you said there that, you know, Mel said you looked like shit a few days and you, you have to get out for a walk. But was there anything else you did after that in, in terms of, you know, I, I know you, you're vegetarian, but w- when did that come in? Was that as a result of the illness or is that something you've been thinking about? Or Yeah, no, the vegetarian thing actually
1: came after the first UPW, the first oh, Tony yeah. Robbins uh, UPW seminar in 2006, February 2006. And at the end of the UPW, he sets you a a 10-day challenge, and the 10-day the challenge is to eat no meat, no processed foods, anything like that, so cut out all the rubbish, you know? So I did that for, for 10 days, and I was in pretty good shape at that time anyway. But I did it for 10 days, and I lost a stone. And I thought, wow, <laughs> there's, there's something in this diet, you know? Uh, so at that time, I actually kind of went pretty hardline at it because remember my attitude was go big, go big, do yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I went pretty hardline. I kind of went vegan at the start, so it was no cheese, no dairy, no nothing, and um, kept that up for, for quite a while. Probably kept that up. And for how
0: a while. how did you find that? <clears throat> because you know living in in a town outside a small city of Belfast, what you know, and Belfast doesn't have a lot of vegetarian restaurants, never mind vegan restaurants. How did, you, how did that work out for you? And the reason why I asked because I was at an event something similar. I suppose the teachings would have been something similar to what Tony Robbins does. And um, the guy was the guy was talking for like 13, 14, 15 hours a day, surviving on juices. You know, he was just drinking bottles of green stuff yeah. day after day. Um, and he just was so full of energy. But we ended up, we were in, we were in Brighton and went to a vegetarian restaurant. And I thought, oh, if, it was, if there were some of these back home, I would I would try it a bit more often. Um, how did that work out for you, being you know living in Ballamina? At the time, I would say
1: it was a struggle. You know, to be fair to all the restaurants and stuff, because eating out is one of my vices. You know, I love eating out. Yeah. Uh, we, we do it often. In fact, the boss, the boss that works says to me the other day, he says Reynolds, you'd be cheaper turning your fridge off. He says you never eat at home. You know. <laughs> so, uh, to be fair, all the chefs and stuff tend to put something together for you. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. The vegan thing was very tough. Yeah. It was it was very tough. Now that's probably gotten easier, um, but you know my my reasoning for doing that was just kind of based on the seminar. Tony Tony Robbins said, "Do it. I'll do it, and I'll do it big." You know that kind of yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but the the thing that I found with the, the veganism veganism um, was that it was lack of variety. You know everything. it got to the point where I was just getting bored with stuff, and then you you start to let things that you probably shouldn't, in inverted commas, be eaten. Uh, it's a creep back in, you know. So you're yeah. eating chips you're eating chips and that kind of thing. Yeah, they're still, you know, they're they're vegetarian or whatever. They're they're chips, but they're chips. you know, like yeah. That kind of way. But I think do you, do you know with me now? I think having been through what I've been through, you know, kind of going from you know I didn't have a terribly plush uh, upbringing. You know, grew up in a council estate, didn't have carpets on the floors. You know, we didn't we didn't have money for all the nice things to go into you know, having that couple of million quid of asset wealth to having the health challenges to all of that, I think it makes you look at things with a more holistic view where you, for, for me now it's not so much about going big, you know? Going big's great and there's a little bit of that still inside me, you know? Like there's a there's a bit of me, if, if somebody asks you how many properties do you have, you kind of go, because uh, as compared to what it was to yeah. now, you're kind of going, that's a bit of crap, you know? Uh, yet at the same time, I, I'm having a chat with you the other week, and I'm saying, "Here's what I have now. Here's what the cash flow is." And you're going, "What's your problem?" I can't wait. So, so it's funny, but I think now for me, it, it's more a holistic thing. So, you know, you don't have to do everything right or big all of the time. You know, it's okay yeah. to make a bollocks here and there. Yeah. It's okay not to achieve all the time. You know, like, you know, at that time, I turned vegan, stopped drinking, was off the drink for three years. Um, and still, you know, kind of go through little bouts to stop and drinking and whatever, and that's that's cool. But I don't, I, I don't have the same desire to be up here all of the time and then better, you know, because yeah. eventually that, that starts to grind you down as well. Where you're
0: going, I, I I say about the property investing um thing that we're in, it's a journey. You know, we talked about earlier on there the 87 properties as if 87 like 87 is the destination, yeah. But But, you know, and I'll not be, I'm not saying you said that, but it's almost like I'll not not be happy or I'll not have achieved what I want to achieve till I get the 87 properties. And there's lots of things I want to do, but, but I still want to be happy whilst I'm out there trying to achieve them. And I know loads of people who have lots more than a lot of other people or most other people, but because they've set themselves a big target, they won't be happy until they get there. And you know, the problem with that is when they get there, they'll still not be happy and then they'll push the bar up again. And I think it's key to, um, you know, people's lives. I suppose you've kind of like hit the reset button, if you like, and you kind of realize that it's not all about going big. There's nothing wrong with going big, but um, you need to be enjoying your, your, yourself along the way. I think it's, I think it's key.
1: Yeah, I think when you, you know, you, that, that was good, <laughs> good terminology You used, the reset button there. When you have the stroke, when you lose the, the empire, if you want to call it that, and you're back to nothing, it's a massive lesson in humility. And like, like what the lockdown did for a lot of people there, the, the COVID lockdown, they reevaluate life as a whole, you know, mortality and all of that yeah, is it? very deep. Yeah. But you, you kind of look at everything again, and I think looking at it now, the the most important thing, you, you could take it all away, the most important thing for me now is my family, you know, my partner yeah. and my son, those, yeah. would be the big, those would be the big motivators for me now. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't care if I never become a millionaire again. There's no big, there's, there's no particular strong desire. I must be a millionaire yeah. or I must be this. It's, um, for me, it's about getting back on track and having the financial freedom to do what I want to do, you know, without having to be answerable to, you know, to uh, uh, other people to go and do it kind of thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's about... Providing the best I can for, for kind of me and my family, I think now.
0: Yeah, and, and appreciating and I think you, you said mm-hmm. there about reevaluating during COVID. And I've said this in a number of the podcasts that COVID has been a great time for a lot of people to sit back and go, right, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Actually, what I've got here during COVID, this is what means the most to me. As you say, your, your family, your, your kids, um, your, your own home. Um, and you stop missing the other things and then you realize that those things are just a bonus you've got everything you need um, I suppose Brian I, I normally ask a few questions about motivation and inspiration what would have motivated you back then apart from the going big uh, and what motivates you now now that things have changed um, you've maybe just answered that with a family but is there anything in particular that motivates you to keep going I think back then,
1: the, the motivation back then was different, okay? So I think, I think growing up, you know, kind of growing up through the, you know, through the estate and stuff I lived in and, and at school, I, I didn't really, when I look back, I didn't really value academia, okay? I, I, for, for me, school wasn't the right format for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, I, I consider myself, I don't consider myself the most intelligent guy in the world ever, but I'm not dumb either. But I went to grammar school, and it was very focused on academia and nothing else. And you know, quite often, the, you know, there were a couple of teachers in particular. Or you know, I remember teachers saying there was one teacher, and um, she used to say to me, Reynolds, stand up. I would stand up. Say, Reynolds, you're on a continual spiral going down. And I would say, thank you, Miss. And <laughs> not not having been to Tony Robbins or anything at that point as a schoolboy. I look back on that and go, that thank you, miss, that kind of two fingers up was probably the best thing I could have done Um, because it was that kind of defiant, yeah, I'll prove you wrong, miss, you know? And uh, when I left school and I started the entertainment agency and so on, I actually finished up um, subcontracting a few of my old teachers who were musicians (laughs) for the entertainment agency. So a couple of the old teachers actually finished up working for me along the line, which was interesting because I was a guy that was going to do nothing. That
0: was a a sort of. One for the books there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So
1: I think the big motivator back then was kind of cu- coming from nothing and wanting to be something. Um, you know, now now having that same desire, you know, maybe lost a lot of that hunger. Um, the the why is maybe not as strong or it's a different kind of why now. Um, now it's all about, you know, just financial security and doing that through cash flow this time. Don't get me wrong, it'd be lovely to have all that asset wealth as well but that's probably secondary to me now it's more about the cash flow it's about financial freedom time freedom the ability to travel again like you know like i used to do back in the day I had loads of good holidays loads of travelling travel around the states for a few months and stuff it'd be great to have the freedom to be able to do that again and just be able to provide for, for the family you know ultimately i I'd, I'd love to make it work so that you know my partner uh, doesn't have to work and um, my son doesn't um,
0: you Know you can put them through university comfortably and give them a wee head start, you know, and life, yeah. Kind of. yeah. Um, and, and I find the sort of you're you weren't into the academia, do you think that's where you'll send your son down that road of yeah. going to university? You know, that go to school, get good grades, get a job for life kind of thing.
1: It's a very good question because, uh, ironically, my partner's a school teacher, <laughs> um, and I always, I always say to her, I said. I say Mel, you would have been my worst nightmare because Mel is, is very much a teacher teacher, you know. Yeah. She 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 wants to teach and she wants students who wants to who want to learn, you know. Yeah. And that wouldn't have been me, you know, and she teaches French. So in particular that definitely wouldn't
0: have been we, me. I think we had a chat about this, you know, the online thing, the way everything's gone online so much, even this podcast, we're not sitting in a we're not sitting in a in a, in a studio. We're yeah. you know doing it across Zoom um, recording it. You know, and and Mel would be like, no, teaching is about standing at the front of the room. Give me the, give me the toughest group of kids, and that I'm, you know, I'm there. But Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, for for the
1: wee man, I I like him to think uh, in the most open-minded way. Um, we're probably lucky at this stage. He's only six. Was so it's, it's maybe too early to really know, but he seems to have a really good grasp of maths, which is something that I never had. I was rubbish at <coughs> maths. Um, he's a really good grasp of, of maths and stuff. He seems like a smart little dude. So academically, he's, he's kind of at the top of the class or towards the top of the class anyway. So we're lucky, but he's still young. He hasn't discovered women yet, so that might change, you know, a woman a drink. Uh, so that, that might change. So for me personally, I wouldn't be bothered really if he never went to university. But at the same time, I do see, I do see some merit in going to university, right? I know there's a lot of, a lot of property gurus out there. And I, I know you guys aren't, aren't of the same school some of these property gurus, but I would hear property gurus saying, Leave your job, forget about university, don't go to school tomorrow, <laughs> you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Um, I think, I think school is important. I think university is important for cer- certain people. And there are probably times in my life where it might have served me to have had a degree. Might have served me. I'm not saying it would have served me, but it might have done. Um, but I also think you can make it. And you can make it big if if that's what you're into, without a degree and without you know necessarily academia. And you know it, it's all the things that we all know. But it's repetition again. You know it is about surrounding yourself with like minded people, and that's that's why I've signed up to PSU, for example, the uh, Property Success University. With yourselves, you know you you can cr- surround yourself with like minded people. But as I was saying to you guys over dinner the other week, what? What I kind of look for now in somebody as a mentor, and there, there are loads of property mentors out there now, you know, it's, it's probably more than one when, when we had kind of started out, you know? Yeah. Back at the time I'd spent probably tens of thousands between Whitney and Kiyosaki and Kevin Green and, and various guys. Why I signed up the PSU is for the networking uh, to be surrounded by like-minded people who are you know, all of similar goals, maybe not the same goal, but we're all trying to get, you know, we're all trying to get the financial freedom through property investing. The thing that I like about you guys and and your story and and yourselves as mentors is that you've also faced adversity, you know? So, you know, I've been and kind of done it in the eyes of many people and I made the millions and whatever, and then I lost the millions. So I would see myself as probably a guy that could contribute more than some of the property gurus out there today who are going through this for the first time, they're young, eager, they're like me in the Sky yeah. TV program in 2007. They're, they're go-getters and that's great, but they haven't yet experienced the adversity, the bad times, you know, and like I know listening to yourself and Mary, uh, you know, what what's your introductory podcast, for example, go check it out on YouTube, where you yeah. tell your story about, about some of the challenges you guys had to overcome. You have a more rounded approach to mentoring, in my opinion, you know, then, and, and that's, that's what would draw me to, to kind of get involved with with your mentoring program, you know, so Good stuff. Model, model people that are doing it well.
0: Yeah, and, and also, I mean, as you said about a lot of the gurus, there's a lot of people out there, you know, the young guys, and they're, they're young and full of beans, and they haven't experienced any adversity, you know, and I always say that we never teach anything that we haven't done ourselves. Or at least have tried ourselves. I'm not mm-hmm. saying we wouldn't teach something that maybe we did wrong because we've learned a lesson from it. But everything mm-hmm. that we've taught, or everything that we bring in, it's something that we've done, or maybe helped somebody else done. So it's not like we're t- teaching s- shit out of a textbook, for yeah. want of a better term. Um, but just jumping back there, it's interesting to hear about your your, your young fella, um, you know, being good at mathematics. and so moving forward. He's going to be able to work out yields and return and in cash invested and <laughs> what a twenty five percent deposit consists of. He's going to love it. percent stamp um, duty. Do, do you would you kind of encourage him to get into property at some point in the future? You know, i i
1: i was gonna I was gonna just answer that immediately and say I think everybody should get involved in property, but I'm going to take that back. Right? I think everybody who. Everybody who would feel comfortable with it, because there are people who are just uh, c- couldn't sleep in their bed at night as landlords. Let's let's be honest. You know, I, I know people who um, who own property who hate property ownership because you know they're just not they're not cut out for what goes along with it. Yeah. But there there's no you know the, I know this is a bit of a tired tired thing to say, but if you look at the rich list, the rich list, the world's richest people. You know, if it's not pharmaceuticals, it's property <laughs> that kind of way. Yeah. Um, there's there's no other way that's as easy. You know, I don't have to go to university for three years to learn to be a property investor. And this is the this is the point I try and put across to people. Sometimes, you know, I could go and learn a job. I didn't go to any university for property, and the teachers said it was going to be nothing. But I went out and made a couple of million. You know, yeah. all right, I lost it all again, <laughs> but. I'm still here, and I'm, and i out to, you know, I'm out to kind of build it all up again. So, I think if, if it's what you're drawn towards, go for it. I think property, property's is a great way to, to, you know, make, make money and potentially even get rich. You know.
0: Well, I think if you ever look at the Times Rich List, the Sunday Times Rich List, you'll find that the top ten people. Quite a number of them have made their maybe the top 100. I suppose quite a, a high percentage of them have made their money in property. And those that didn't make it in property end up putting it into property because they need somewhere, you know, to park their money. And they're not going to stick it in the bank because the bank give you nothing on it. Um, so you know, I, I I can't argue with it. Property is still, um, it's an asset. You can touch it. You can feel it. It's not like, you know, buying cryptocurrency, for instance. Now that you might make a lot of money at over the next number of years, but like cryptocurrencies, a couple of numbers on a screen somewhere. I just, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like property because you can touch it, you can feel it, you can mold it the way you want to, you can try and control the price, you can add value to it, um, you can rent it out, you can sell it on, you can do. There, there's so many different things you can and, do with property. And, and, I just think it's a great sort of asset class to be to be involved in.
1: And with the with the property, as I as I tell people, you know, you, you can go and do stocks and shares and uh, crypto and gold and all of that stuff. But with the property, as you know yourself, a lot of the time you're, you're doing this through other people's money. The rent money's coming in, that's paying the mortgage. Like, I, I don't know anything else as good as that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, going back to that, you know, the 87 properties and, and the cash flow today, we mentioned like 300 quid a month. You know, if you can potentially get into a property uh, refinance, pull your money back out again so you've got all your cash back out. I know that's a bit more difficult in a rising market but you, you know you get most of your money back out and your cash flow in 300 quid a month. You know I, I, I don't know of many other things that um, many other asset classes that you could potentially do that and you, there's certainly not any other asset. If I went to the bank today and said I've 25 grand here and I want to borrow 75 grand to buy 100,000 pounds worth of cryptocurrency they would like there's the door <laughs> you know it's the, the, they're still willing to lend on property cuz property you know it's a secure asset it's um <clears throat> it's it's brilliant i mean it's been good to me it's also been bad to me but i've had more good times than bad times and like within a Nelson life you, you have to take the, the rough with the smooth you know whether that's in jobs whether that's at school whether that's in relationships it's the same in property you have to take the rough the, the rough with the smooth um, Brian, I'm just uh, conscious of the time here. Um, it's probably the longest podcast we've had Never. because, and, and we <laughs> go haven't big. go big, <laughs> go, go, big, go big. That's the title of it. Go big. Um, I mean, there's a there's a load of stuff we haven't uh, covered, but. Uh, but I think we'll we'll leave the rest of it for another day. Just, just to sum up, I uh, just asked you one final question. What would be the number one bit of advice that you would give to anyone, whether they're just starting in property or even thinking about property?
1: Hmm. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, but try and find people that have had the rough and the smooth. I think that's... I think that's the best thing to do. Model other people who have done it. You'll definitely get there quicker. But model people who have had that bit of adversity as well. Because yeah. um, when I think back to when I think back to two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when I was spending, you know, I was going to the Whitney seminars and the Kiyosaki stuff and Rich Dad and whatever. Um, a lot of the people I was surrounded by were of this, the same mindset as me, and we were kind of all going big and then we were all going bad, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, and, and most people that I know that kind of started in that kind of mid-2000s, probably all have gone bang at this point, unless they had another successful business that they were running concurrently alongside their property investing. just because we were kind of all going big and we were all of the same mindset. So when I look back, I think, yeah, go big by all means, Surround yourself with like-minded people by all means, but also surround yourself by people who have had those uh, those bumps in the road, who know how to get around it, and who can even help you with your strategy before you hit those bumps in the road.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because I often talk with Brian Muldoon about the, the coaching side of things. And I think it's essential as well if you're finding a coach or a mentor that you need somebody that maybe has experienced the, 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 the bad things because somebody that's maybe run a business and it's just, everything's went well, um, it's, it's hard to learn, because I think you learn more from the, from the, the bad times than you do from, the, you take the good times for granted, um, but you definitely learn more from the bad times. Um, and just a final question, Brian, uh, not that I've been using mine sort of list of questions that I normally, we've decided to just- You've done very well. <laughs> throw, throw caution to the wind here. Um, is there anything we should have discussed before we go, that we didn't, and you think it is key to key to the whole podcast. Oh, key to the whole podcast. I don't know. Loads of things you never asked
1: me about. <laughs> so nice. That's usually um, my
0: final question, but yeah, uh,
1: it's a good question. We were going so well, and you, you've you've chucked me in a curveball. Um, but yeah, there are loads of things we haven't talked about. So we 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 did talk in the we talked in the uh, the podcast here earlier on about. Uh, kind of how was life going in 2011 before the stroke? So I was talking about having realized some some massive goals in 2010. So, um, you know, make, make sure I think and have goals in different areas. So not just property, but, you know, family goals and travel goals and, and, and all kinds of goals. So for me in 2010, I'd actually, one of my goals, and you, you would, probably wouldn't think it looking from me, I should send you a picture that you can post in your podcast is I'm a massive fan of heavy metal music. And I have been since since I was about like, I don't know, 14, 15. And one of my ambitions was to record with a top heavy metal producer, you know, that does all the famous bands and stuff. (coughs) So in, in 2010, I actually went to Sweden, which would be kind of one of the homes of heavy metal music, if you like. And I went to a record producer who does a lot of the bands I would listen to, you know, the big kind of famous bands, if you want to call it that. Not not, uh, Mutt Lang, no. Not Mutt Lang, no. A guy called Jens Bögren. Jens uh, Bögren, no. In Sweden. Um, So I went to Jens anyway and kind of realized my boyhood dream. This was something that I'd aspired to do for years and years. So i just achieved that in 2010 before... Uh, you know, before the first of January, twenty eleven, when the when the big health challenge came along, you know, so we
0: didn't talk about that. That's a whole different podcast for yeah. a whole other that's, day. That's that's another podcast, Brian. I mean, there's an hour and fifteen minutes, and it seems like it was about twenty minutes. I had to keep an eye on a on my watch because I knew there was so many things and such a an inspirational story that um, again people can't help but to get stuff out of that you know there's massive learning curves there there's some really good bits of advice um, i just want to thank you for for being my guest today thank you very no, much happy
1: to be part of it thanks chris
0: no problem